Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. Father God, you're so amazing. You're so faithful. We thank you for your amazing love for us that each person that is here is loved by you. Everyone watching online, each one is loved by you, valued by you, and, and we want to receive from you this morning. We want you to speak to us. We want you to bring us deeper in you. I pray that you would help me to communicate what you've placed on my heart, and I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you want to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may grab a seat. So we're coming back to our series on the first, first epistle written to the Corinthians, Beautiful mess. And uh, how many of you, you, if you were here last week or if you watched uh, uh, watch it online, uh, the message of Eddie, uh, that was your pastor, Eddie from France, he had an awesome message. He talked about uh, that we are on a mission and, and we are like a pebble or a stone that God is throwing in the water and, and throwing us as a mission. And where we're, where, wherever we land, there's ripples uh, and there's an effect or influence of, and we influence other people. And I think that's very important for us to remember that we are on a mission and that God wants to use us for the kingdom and that he wants to use me and you planted wherever we're planted. He wants us to shine. And so God wants to throw us in the nations and through us in Winkler, Morden, Altona, southern Manitoba, and beyond, so that we can have an impact of God's kingdom, right? But at the same time, as he throws us, what he wants to do, or before he throws us, he wants to fashion the stones, or fashion the petals, the petals, the pebbles. I, I like the story of David when he was called to stand before Goliath, he went and he got a few stones from the brook. I don't know what really he was looking for, but he was looking for a favorable stone that he could use to get uh, Goliath on his back, right? And, and we know you probably heard messages on that or even in, in kids' ministry and grow where the water fashions the stone. But, but the reality is that for God to use me, and he wants to, and that's the calling that we have. What he wants to do, he wants to fashion me in the process. Would you agree? Right? He wants to fashion me. And sometimes when it comes to the fashion part, there's some big chunks that he wants to remove from our lives, from my life. But sometimes it's just a, a sanding of, right, where God comes and he, and he just sands the corners. Or he just comes and wash over us so that we might be smooth for his purpose. And when we look at this chapter, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, we know that God has a plan for the church, but the, the, the Lord wants to come and fashion fashion and, 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 and remove the stuff in the life of the people so they can be effective for God's kingdom. If you resume our lives, it's, it's very simple. It's to love God with all your, of our hearts, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself, and to see God work through our lives so that his glory would be shown, and all this is for his fame and for his worship. So when we look at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, what we, find, what we find is um, 
is God giving, or Paul giving an, uh, an awareness or, or teaching the people of, of what they should, how they should live in view of the outside, but also how they're called to treat each other. And when we experience injustice, when we experience offenses, what are we called to do? So if you have, if you have your Bible, take a, look, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and I will go through verse 1 to verse 8 this morning. And it says in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking, taking it to other believers? So what Paul is saying here, he, he is saying that don't bring other Christians to court, and I'll unpack that in a moment, but the thought is, what Paul is saying here, his heart is broken to see the division in the body, and uh, if you look at the, um, the, the public square, or how they did justice, or how, uh, how they did court in that time, um, how many of you ever watched, you ever watched Jude, uh, Judge Judy, or pe People's Court, Right? And how it is is that you got a defendant and, and you have uh, a, I just got a blank here, a defendant and an accuser, I guess, right? And they're there and they try to sell their views to, to the judge and, 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 uh, and there's a winner to some kind at the end. And I, I believe it's people's court how it functions is that the people that are sitting in the courtyard or in, uh, as spectators, they have a button or they, they decide, uh, they press on the button to say who, who's winning, who, who should win. And it's funny because in the process is that you see the defendant winning and, the, and then the accuser is, is, is winning. And, and at the end, it's like the people are involved in the decision making. But when it came to, um, when it came to um, judgment or when it came to dealing with a case in, in the Greek times, it was uh, what they did is they went to the public uh, court or the public market or uh, the public court and, and, and people would be there and they would watch people uh, fighting, their, uh, fighting their cases and they would, have, uh, they would have their words to say. Sometimes there was around a thousand people that were there um, making a decision, getting involved. It's like they were getting involved in, in the matters of other people. It was their sort of entertainment. That's, they didn't have any TV then, right? And what, what entertained them was to go to the public square and having people argue. And, and if, when they decided on one morning to go get some bread and they saw, well, that's a topic that intrigues me, they would go and watch the debate. And, and even some of them were invited to make a decision and be involved. And so Paul was upset that Christians were airing their dirty laundry in the public square. So that's the thought. In verse 2, it says that Paul uh, was telling them that they should resolve their ordinary disputes. Uh, Paul was not say, saying that secular courts were pointless or not needed. Um, Paul did not say that you have to deal with uh, your things internally. And, them, and there's some movement that do, do that, and I think it's wrong. If someone breaks the law, there's consequences. Uh, the church is not called to judge criminal cases. But when it comes to stuff in life, I believe that we're called to be able to address stuff. And if, if you look at Romans chapter 13, verse 4, it says, The authorities are God's servants. 
sent for your good. But if, you're, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the, uh, the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So Paul is, is, is supporting the, the, the civil uh, system when it comes to laws. He's not saying that do stuff on your own. But what he's talking about is it, it, he's talking about personal dispute, disputes, how we're called to, to deal with them. It, he's not talking about physical abuse or sexual abuse or criminal activities. He's talking about things that, 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 we, uh, that we encounter when it comes to doing business and doing life. And he's, he, he's addressing it to the church. In verse 2 it says, Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are doing since you're going to judge the world, can you decide even these little things among yourselves? Verse 3, don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. So here it says that we will judge the world. And not with our carnal mind, with Christ's mind, right? So it's not like, oh, we will judge the world. No, with our own mind, we'll have Christ's mind. And you find that in Matthew 18, verse 28, especially talking with to the disciples or the 12 in regard of, uh, of Israel. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, uh, you who, are who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking here about uh, the, the disciples that will do that. But he, but he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we will judge the world. But you got to realize we won't judge the world with our own, in, uh, our own conviction or our own thoughts. We will have the mind of Christ. And it says also that we will judge angels. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, For it is God for for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeon to be hell for judgment, and when will that judgment happen? Uh, at one point in history, and it says, Paul says that we will be judging them. But so, so what Paul is trying to say here, he's giving a platform, he's laying a foundation for them to understand that they can have Christ's mind when it comes to making decisions, that God is able to grant wisdom. And here the key word in verse 3 is that they would resolve ordinary dispute in this life. So he's saying to the Corinthians, don't go wash your clothes in public talk about thing, address thing, and resolve your situation. Since we have God's word, since we have the spirit of the living God revealing God's word to our hearts, since we're living in community and we have people that have journeyed and have experiences, experience, so, so what Paul is saying is that one day we will judge the world, one day we will judge angel, you should be able to make decisions here when it comes to dealing with other people. And, and we also know the heart of Father God. So when we look at how we're called to live, we look at Father, we look at Jesus, and then we have, we, we have a lot of images. Or when we look at the gospel, we see how we're called to interact and how to live when we look at the example of Jesus. In verse 4 it says, if you have legal disputes about such matter, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? When it comes to be respected by the church, it's not talking to, to look at the uh, civil uh, system in a bad way, but it's to realize that we don't have the same values. 
Like when it comes to the church, we have this golden rule, right? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, if anything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And it's, it also says in the Sermon on the Mountain that we're called to love our enemies. Wow. And that we're called to pray for those who persecute us. And we're called to turn the other cheek. Like it's a different system, right? Christianity is known for peace, for reconciliation. When you look at Christianity, one of the uniqueness of Christianity when it comes to all the different religions is Christianity is known for peace and reconciliation. And because that's what we see on Calvary. What we see on Calvary is the Son of God, the Son of Man that has his arms stretched. And he says, forgive them, Lord. That's the foundation of our faith. Is God so loved the world that he gave his Son. So when it comes to the ways of, of the church versus the ways of the world, it's different. Like Peter asked Jesus how many times we should forgive. Seven times? And for him, he's stretching here. Seven times, it's a lot. And Jesus responds, 70 times seven. That's 77 times seven. That's, a, I think the number is 539 times. That's a lot of times, right? You look, at, you look at your marriage, if it would be plateaued at seven, it would be good, right? But you have to realize this, is that as you walk in reconciliation and you learn to forgive and you learn to apologize and you focus on reconciliation, you try to make things work, this is how things grows. We live in a society today that we are, we are, we're not good at fixing things. We buy new, Right? We got something, we, we struggle with a dishwasher and it's not working. The first thing we talk about is, is it worth repairing? Is it going to cost more money to repair than to buy new, right? We have these conversations. And so for us, we are not, in general, when it comes to cons our, our, how we consume stuff, we're not very good in fixing things. And, and when it comes to relationship, listen to this, the more there's fixings, the better it becomes. You know what, notice that in your marriage? I look at loving my wife. I remember when I walked down the aisle, I, love, I, I loved her, but my love for her is way deeper now. You know why? Because we grew together. We've hurt each other. We, we forgave each other. We journeyed together. We talked together. And, and, and it's not like, uh, it's, it's way more precious. It has way more deeper roots it's, it has way more depth than storing from scratch or buying a new car, right? And, and, and so we need to realize that when it comes to the love for one another, as we learn to fix things and as we seek reconciliation and we work at our marriage and we work on a relationship, our relationship gets sweeter and sweeter. Would you agree? But I need God, right? I need God. For this, I look at when Jesus said that to to uh, uh, to Peter. He said he gave the story of this this guy that um, owed millions to the king, and he was arrested and was ready to be put into prison. And he pleaded, "Have mercy on me, king!" And the king had mercy on him, and he wiped his millions of debt. And then this same guy that was um, forgiven so much had someone that owed him $20, 
And he went to his throat, and he got this person thrown in prison. And when the king saw that, he was offended. Hey, I forgave you millions. How can you uh, behave this way, right? And, And so as Christians, we understand that the road that we're called to take is a road of peace and a road of reconciliation. Look what it says in verse 5. I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, um, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. He's saying you're losing your testimony. You're doing this and you're, you're bringing things in the public play, public square and, and people are looking at you and you think they're going to go to church after seeing you behave towards each other? You know, in, in John 13 verse 35, it says that we, that the world knows that we are his disciples for the love that we have for one another. And, and it, it's to go the extra mile, it's, it's to go beyond being right. I remember... Many years ago, there was this young man that came to see me. He was in the dilemma. He was a, a young Christian, and uh, his parent, his dad was not in the picture, and he was a snowmobile addict. Like, he loved snowmobile. To the point that one po- at one time, his mother did lead, let him bring the snowmobile in the basement of the house. I, it was unreal. I, like, I, I, it, there was no corner. It was uh, straight down, but he still brought his snowmobile in, in the basement of his mother's house. Anyway. That's a, that's a topic on its own. Um, but what he did is that he didn't have the money to buy pieces. So what he did is that he went in the neighborhood and tried to find pieces from other snowmobile to replace his pieces. So he was saying at the same time, since I'm going to do something like that, might as well renew my whole skidoo, right? Or snowmobile. And so he went around and he got pieces. There was one particular snowmobile that was the same brand, same year. So he went in during the night and he stripped away that machine in places all. And then he had this machine, came to church, was like all excited, came with a snowmobile. But later on, he started to have a conviction in his heart that it was wrong. And so he came to see me and he says, you know, pastor, I, I, I don't... Uh, it wasn't right. What do I do now? And I told them, well, you got to do restitution. So what do you mean restitution? Well, you got to go see the one that you stole your pieces from. And you got to apologize and say it was you. And then you got to tell them that you're going to pay for the pieces like uh, uh, whatever price. And you'll have someone, you'll bring it to the shop and someone would, will uh, install the pieces. And then... He said, okay, so he goes, and he, he goes to see the owner of the snowmobile that was not running because all the pieces were gone, and he said, you know, it was my fault, it was bad what I did, you know, I, I'm going to pay your pieces at whatever price, it'll have them um, fixed at, at the shop. And, and so the owner, what he did, he had a conversation with the kid, was he happy? Absolutely not. But he realized that that kid like I said earlier, did not have a father figure and were, was, was poor, didn't have a lot of finances. And so there was this conversation between the owner and the thief and, 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 and there was grace that was shown by the owner. And I look at that, I, I think it's so beautiful because the owner could have brought that kid to court and say, ah, you know, you, you, you deserve to be judged. Um, and, and I'm not saying that there's freebies when things are wrong or things that are done not correctly. What I'm tr- trying to say here is that when it comes to treating other believers and people around you, you want to have grace. Amen? Can you tell your neighbor that grace is needed 
We need to have grace, right? So like I said, it's way more than being right. When you look at the Bible, there's such a strong emphasis on seeking peace and being at peace. If you do a study going home this week and you look at the call of the church to walk in peace and to have peace is huge. It's all over Paul's epistle, epistle, epistles. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and the New Testament. You've got this example in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Tell your neighbor, completely. Completely. Completely humble. Wow, I say, God, I can't do that. I need your spirit. But it's a desire to be completely humble and completely gentle. Be patient. Wow. Bearing with one another in love, not enduring with one another in love, but bearing, supporting one another in love. Look what it says in verse 3. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's a calling. That's what the church is, is called to. This is what I'm called to, and you too. And, and, and I look at sometimes my emotions and, 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 and what I went through, the injustice and the hurts and the words that were said. Sometimes I don't feel like doing this, but it's not a question of feelings. It's a question of saying, God, I'm called to do your will. Help me to do that, right? You, 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 you see in, when Jesus was talking to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mountain, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Sons of God. The testimony that you are a son and a daughter is that you're a peacemaker. Not, not a peacekeeper where you don't deal with stuff. A peacemaker is you work on trying to have peace. You do all what you can to have peace. In James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. So what comes from heaven is pure, okay? Remember this. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So when you sow in peace and you sow peace, there's going to be a harvest of that. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, verse 1, it says, when, uh, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your de desires that battle within you? What, Paul is, what James is saying here is you got the wisdom of God that comes from him, and then you, have what you, have, you, you also have unresolved issues in your heart, and there's a conflict between the two. And so what you want is to see God um, take more control of your life, and you want to see God uh, uh, reign in your heart. And so in verse 18, it says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring peace. Roman 14, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. It, it really talks about fixing things. It really talks about not running away or storing things in your bones and keep it for years, but saying, God, bring freedom. I, I believe that God has called us to, to walk in peace and to be extensions of God's peace to other people. Even when it comes to our work, when there's conflicts, I believe that we're called to be peacemakers. 
When I talk about being at peace with other people, I'm not saying that you should mortgage your boundaries. And there needs to be boundaries when it comes to your own heart and your own life. But that doesn't mean that you're not called to walk in peace and and be at peace. When I look at the borders that we have with Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan and Manitoba are two different provinces, but we're at peace. Imagine if you had cannons in Saskatchewan, when you cross the borders, you have cannons waiting for you. Or you have people that are coming from Saskatchewan, and there's cannons in, in, in Manitoba. It, it's, it's, it's not good, right? And we're not called to have cannons. Like, and for sure, there's boundaries and separation. And, and sometimes we don't agree. There's stuff in, in Manitoba that we do that is different from Saskatchewan. But the last thing that you want to have, listen... It's to have cannons in your heart. Cannons in your heart. You don't want to have cannons in your heart. And we know how life is. There's always issues, right? There's always things that happen. And you, we all have, it. Um, let's say, it's always dangerous for us to, to take this path of having cannons in our heart. And I, I believe the only way that you really can have peace is when you have peace inside. I cannot have peace with other people if peace is not there. If I have resentment in my heart and unresolved issues, it's not going to be deep peace. I might have a, a, a weak handshake, and then someone will do something, the other person will do something else, and you'll say, aha, I knew. The only way that you can have real peace is to have inner peace. It's you got to let God in. you got to let God address things in your heart. And it, this is a huge matter, people, because sometimes we look at that and we don't see that it's important. It really is because it affects God's kingdom. It affects the people around you. It affects your family. It affects your testimony. It has a ripple effect. So what you want is to dismantle, disarm your cannons. This morning, my call for you, my call and the whole message is for you to consider disarming your cannons. I don't know who's on the other side of the border, okay? I don't know what's there. God is saying to you, son, daughter, dismantle your cannons. Does it mean that you become a carpet? No. There's boundaries. It's two different provinces, two different persons. But your call, it's not to have cannons rising up because that's not the image uh, or that's not the path we're called to take as believers. I need to let God in. Look what it says in verse 7 and verse 8. It says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you, saying, you're you're doing this to win, but really you already lost. Before you go on the public square, you already lost. Look what he says here. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourself be cheated? Why don't you take the high road? Instead, you yourselves or the one who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Look at how the message version says it. These court cases are an ugly blot on your community. 
Wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be for better to just take it or let yourself be wrong and forget it? All you're doing is providing fuel for more wrong, more injustice, bring more hurt to the people of your own spiritual family. It, it, it's like Paul is saying, take the, take the high road. Um, suffer, suffer for God's kingdom. Do what is right, you know? And he says, why not accept? Just accept the injustice and leave it at that. Why not let yourself be cheated? Wow. Is that hard? It is. It's a hard thing to do, right? And this is where I got to let God work in my heart. I've got to let God uh, move me that it's not about justice. There needs to be justice. And, and we're talking here about stuff, relational stuff, or um, it, it's not deep stuff, really, what Paul is addressing, but, but he talks about just let it go, right? Hmm. Just want to give you a few steps for being a peacemaker. First, when it comes to be a peacemaker, what you want to do is talk about it with the person involved. Make the first move. Don't go around and talk to everybody else about the situation. Go talk to the person. Secondly, don't let it fester. Don't let it drag and wait and wait and wait. The Bible says if, if you know your brother has something against you, you go and find him. Number three, listen and try to understand. Sometimes we hear, but we don't understand. We don't listen. In many occasions, we don't see the full picture. It's to remove assumptions and guesses. I think we're good to, to have assumptions, but sometimes we don't know who, what the person is going through, so it's worth asking questions and try to understand. Consider with humility what is my part in this? God, what do you want me to do in this? I'm not called to be all. The person has to make a decision, but what is my part? Add prayer and fasting for discernment. Go before God, even fast. God, show me what I should do. Go to God's word for counsel because God's word is there, you know? We're called to go to God's word. His answer is in his word. Ask yourself a question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Number eight, apologize if you are in the wrong. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. There's power in confession. It breaks the bondage of the enemy to God and to others. Number nine, choose forgiveness and not resentment. That's probably the biggest one I had. Choose forgiveness. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. You choose forgiveness and not resentment as the Holy Spirit to bring healing. Number 10, go to the church Ask counsel if you don't know what to do. What Paul is saying in this chapter is that deal with your heart stuff. Like, deal with stuff. Don't just put it on the carpet. Just don't pretend it's not there. And don't harden your heart. Amen? I would ask you to stand. Father, uh, as a church, we want to be this stone in your hand that you can throw and have a ripple effect. Father, individually, we are stones 
in your hand that you want to throw so that we could have an effect and influence in the life of others. Really, it's you in the life of others, really. It's your kingdom in the life. It's to see you in the hearts of others, and that's what the kingdom is all about. But I just pray, Father, that you would transform me as a stone, that you would shape me, Lord, according to your own, your own desire. When we look at the Corinthian church that had heart issues, you, you were addressing them to take freedom and, and to take the high road or to walk in forgiveness, forgiveness to, to dismantle, disarm their cannons. Father, I pray that if we have cannons in our heart, that we would dismantle them. Help us, Lord, to dismantle cannons. Help us, Lord, to, to show love and, and, and to be godly like you've showed us. Lord, we have this picture of you on Calvary. You took away the sins of humanity. You bought freedom, Lord, because of your surrender. And by these words that brought freedom to us when you said, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. I just pray, Father, that we would have your heart, the heart of your son. And we can't do it on our own. We need your spirit. We need your spirit to come and wash over us, Lord, in a new way, in a fresh way. That we would be ambassadors of peace wherever we go. That we would be known for the peace that we bring. Reconciliation that we bring. That's the mandate of the church. The good news is that this message of the gospel brings peace between humanity and God. And also brings peace between brothers. That's the message of the gospel. And I just pray, Father, that you would come and stir our hearts up as you want to flow through us. I pray that you would fashion us and, and mold us according to your ways and according to your word. I pray this in this beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.